Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. There's a war going on, and in it there are representatives on either side, and nobody's neutral. So the question is, which side do you represent? Which side are you fighting for? So at first, this seems like an easy question, as most Christians know what they're supposed to say, at least, um, concerning this battle. They're supposed to say they're on the side of Christ, uh, one of his ambassadors. But let's let's muse on this thought process through practical works and application. Let's consider whose kingdom we're actually fighting for. Um, And again, like I said, even starting off, there are no neutrals in this. You are furthering the cause of somebody's kingdom. And again, we'll look at this more as we get into some scripture, uh, because none of this stuff is opinion. This is all scripture based stuff for us to really consider and to think about. So the first thing uh, to consider is what is the role of an ambassador? What's an ambassador's job? Um, we've heard the scripture or we've heard the term whatever it might be to be an ambassador but what does an ambassador even do so firstly an ambassador is one who is sent by a foreign country as its official representative so again and like I always say I love musing over scripture that is just to really consider it to think about it to take a minute and just to really think about what this means so if the bible tells us that we're ambassadors and an ambassador is somebody who is sent by a foreign country as an official representative man i mean that's just something right there that should make us think um and that's what it is so if the scriptures tell us we're ambassadors for christ we will be ambassadors for the kingdom of god that means as an ambassador for Christ, I ought to be a representative of this kingdom. That being said, let's, let's look at a few scriptures starting right out concerning our role as these representatives. Okay, so if we are Christ, we have this role. And so let's, let's get into some scriptures that speak to us a little bit about what these roles look like. So first start by looking at Luke. Uh, and the ninth chapter and just at the second verse I want to look in Luke and it says he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick Uh, one thing I really want to point out there because again as the ambassadorial role what are we doing so I I thought this scripture was good to start because it kind of gives a real basic premise of what Christ in the beginning with his 12 disciples what did he send them out to do? What was the role from then? Uh, and we see that it was to preach the kingdom of God. Okay, to preach the kingdom of God. It says here to heal the sick. They did other things as well. But we see that preaching the kingdom of God. As an ambassador, the first thing one might say, the role of that ambassador is, is to preach the kingdom of God. But let's look at more scriptures so we can really get a, a thought process of what the role of these ambassadors for Christ actually is. So 2 Corinthians now, chapter 5, and verse 18 uh, tells us this. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Now here's where we see another thing about what's our job, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now this is awesome. How are we, now God reconciled us through Christ so how does that make us ministers of reconciliation uh, well I mean it's pretty simple 
we just, well, actually just read verse 19 and it explains it. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. All we do to show people reconciliation or how they can be reconciled to God, what makes us ministers of reconciliation is we tell people how to be reconciled to God. So as an ambassador of this other kingdom, which if we are of Christ will be the kingdom of God, our role is to be ministers of reconciliation. Now, with all these things, I hope you kind of make points of these or make notes in your mind or your heart or wherever what God actually expects of us. Not just what we want to do or who we want to be, as some people even make plans for themselves within the faith. So instead of looking at what God wants of us, even of their lives, ministries, whatever they want to call them, um, instead, people create their own things and say, I'm doing this for Christ's sake. But here's the crazy thing about that. If God didn't tell you to do something for him, how are you going to just make it up and do it anyway? I mean, it makes very little sense, to, uh, especially when it's something that actually goes against who he tells us to be in the world. How could it make sense to you to say, yeah, God didn't tell me to do this, but I'm going to do this for him as though you have more wisdom than he does. It's insane. Um, but we see here that as ambassadors for Christ, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Our time here as ambassadors will always revolve around that ministry of reconciliation that's something you want to keep in your mind as an ambassador for christ how often do you remind yourself that your role is to be a minister of reconciliation one who is bringing people back to god through christ which is something we lost with adam with sin in the garden with the fruit we lost our relationship with god now christ offers us something so much better to become heirs along with him to the kingdom of God. And we who are ambassadors will be ministers of reconciliation um, in this cause, ambassadors for Christ. Another scripture that speaks of our role as ambassadors, Philippians chapter two. And let's look at verse, let's start at verse 15 and then uh, 14 and go to 15. So it says, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Once again, we see that our role as ambassadors, we shine as lights in the world uh, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. I think it's so amazing that he could say the same Paul could of his generation. How much more can we say that we live in a, in, in a crooked and perverse generation? And whichever period of time this is talking about, those who are ambassadors for Christ, Christ, those who are the saints, ought to be among those who shine as lights in the world. Um, and this is a, a, a huge, a very important one, because ambassadors aren't just those who speak. They're those who also represent this other kingdom by what they do. So those who represent the kingdom of God don't just represent him in word. We also are to represent him in lifestyle in the things that we do. But here's another scripture. And I think this one is uh, very important. Not that they, the others weren't as well, but this one's very important to us fulfilling the role of ambassador. And it's first Peter chapter four. We'll find it. And starting in the third verse. And I mean, this one's just great because this definitely um, separates us as those who are representatives of just a completely different place. So in verse three, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness. Uh, and here's the thing with the Gentiles. Pretty much if you weren't a Jew, you were a Gentile. It's that simple. So most people um, and at the same time, at this point. Everybody in the world could be put into these categories. But look at this. We spent enough of our past life in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties and abominable idolatries in regard to these things. Now, here's where we look at our role as ambassador, because we look at that list and 
everybody you know i know everybody who has walked the earth at some point is guilty of one or most or even other versions of these things lewdness lust drunkenness reveries drinking parties and abominable idolatries all these things that go against god that look nothing like him in regard to these they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you now let's just stop right there because we have to look at these things because now we're talking about being representatives of a different kingdom so in regard to these things mentioned they these gentiles these people who are without god will think it's strange now mind you it doesn't mean that today uh somebody who figures themselves to be jew or hebrew or whatever is inherently on god's side we are now reconciled to god through christ period no matter who you are um so they anybody outside of god through christ anybody outside of christ they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation so as those who represent the kingdom of God, when the world looks at us as ambassadors, they ought to find us odd. Well, for what reason? Because we don't rush with them to the same uh, flood of dissipation or might be simpler to use the King James term excess of riot. OK, maybe that makes a little bit more sense. But what is this? OK, so what is this? This excess of riot? What is this flood of dissipation that's been spoken about here? What is it that they run to? that we're not supposed to run to it's very simple the thought process suggests a life of uh prodigality or wastefulness is a good way to put it anybody has heard of the prodigal son well the word prodigal just means wasteful um and what this thought process speaks of is a life that is filled with worldliness um, when we look at that story of the prodigal son, we see that he was consumed by worldliness. He became wasteful. He became foolish. Um, so they look at us, those who um, are no longer living in that past, those who now represent a different kingdom, have been given a new life. They look and they think it's strange that we no longer, because we used to at some point in our lives, no matter how young we were, uh, when we recognized Christ and were made new creatures, no matter how young we were when we did that, at some point we ran to that same flow of worldliness um, that they did. We at some point were consumed by worldliness just how they were. This is a, a moment to, to, to muse over, to stop and think about, because if I represent Christ, one of the strongest ways I can be a light without having to try to just use words, which a lot of, unfortunately, Christians try to do. Um, they try to tell people to ignore how they live and just listen to how they talk. Well, that doesn't work uh, because it shows no power. It, it doesn't evidence that you've actually been changed. The most beneficial thing a saint can do to convince somebody of Christ is to live that way because we will look different from the rest of the world. Debating with people who reject God very seldom convinces them of anything it's the lifestyle it's the fact that i say this and i also live this that now people are starting to say okay this guy is different so here we go back to the scripture they ought to think it weird that you do not run with them to the same flood of worldliness whether it be through those things uh listed lewdness and lust and drunkenness or whether it be through i'm just general worldliness caring more for the world loving the world choosing the world over the things of god again and again either way as representatives of the kingdom of god they should look at us and they should be able to say this person is different our always our greatest testimony for christ's sake our greatest witness will be the fact that we are different that when life happens when life hits we don't handle it the same way and that's not only the bad portions of life even the good portions the random portions whatever it is what we live for our dreams goals hopes none of those things should be in line with what they're doing otherwise we really have to ask ourselves the question who in truth are we actually representing whose kingdom are we representing 
So that's that that scripture, which is so important. And another one in first Peter, um, this one going back to the second chapter. And we'll go down to. Um, let's go down to the 11th verse again, looking at our role as ambassadors, people representing in this world uh, a foreign country as an official representative. And again, that last scripture, that's what it does. It shows that. I represent a different kingdom, which is why I look different. How can I say I represent the kingdom of God when my life mirrors the kingdom of Satan? But we'll talk more about that. So go to verse 11 in 1 Peter chapter 2. And then it says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. And again, we see Peter here talking and he says, I beg you. Um, I beseech you, I plead with you, listen to me as sojourners and pilgrims, because if I'm an ambassador, I am a pilgrim. I am a sojourner. This isn't my home. It's a place I was sent to to do something. So as new creatures, I now have this role to represent the kingdom of God. So Peter speaks to us that way. I beg you as these sojourners and pilgrims, stay away keep yourself from fleshly lusts well why peter because they war against the soul okay they're going to rob you of what you're supposed to be doing you can't serve two masters scripture says you're going to love one and hate the other so you're not going to be able to be an ambassador for christ and an ambassador for this world you're going to do you're going to love one and you're going to hate the other i mean it's just that simple it's that true you're going to love one. You're going to hate the other. So he says, remembering that you are pilgrims. Any of you who are saved, any of you who have accepted the gift of Christ given us by God. Any who have accepted that are no longer of this world. You are no longer a citizen of this place. You now have a new home, the kingdom of God. So he says, as these pilgrims and sojourners stay away from fleshly lust because they war against the soul. OK, so let's look at one more scripture as far as this this idea goes of, OK, my role as an ambassador. What should my mentality be? This is a popular one. Uh, Matthew chapter six and the 33rd verse. And I mean, this one is very popular because it says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Now, here's the thing, because we all know this. I mean, there are songs about it and people talk about it and things like that, but it's not as easy as it sounds. Um, and just to say it doesn't mean you're doing it. It takes a lot to be able to even live with this mentality, let alone to actually apply it. Seek first. Now, this is what an ambassador would do. An ambassador would seek to fulfill the edicts given him by his king. So when we look at this scripture and we see Jesus speaking and he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's one thing to seek first, the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. We seek that first. And all these other things will be added to you. What things, the things that we need is what he spoke about earlier. So we would never have to worry about the things that we need. As we see in verse 31, uh, therefore do not worry saying, what should we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear? He says we don't need to worry about these things because God knows that we need these things. And he's going to take care of our needs because we are representatives of his kingdom. So he's going to make sure that we have uh, everything that we need. So he says, not worrying about that stuff, stuff, Christ says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So seeking is not merely uh, just hoping for the kingdom of God. It's furthering the cause. I'm seeking first what the kingdom of God is about, uh, what God wants for his kingdom and his righteousness. This is what I'm aiming for. This is what I'm trying to promote, the kingdom of God. Now, this is another muse point. This is another point to stop and think about that. As an ambassador for Christ, is your focus ever on promoting the kingdom of God? I mean, this is a this is a amusing part. 
it's not amusing. It's something to muse about. Um, am I promoting the kingdom of God in my life, in my conversations, in my passions? I mean, we live in a very passionate period of time where people like to be up in arms about something. I mean, whatever, whatever it might be, we like to have those arms up about whatever is going on in culture, society, the world. We want to yell, scream, shout, stand for something, have these deep conversations about these things. But how often are these things things that promote the kingdom of God? Because Christ said that's what our focus first ought to be above anything else in this life. We should be seeking God's kingdom first. If we are not seeking God's kingdom first, we are not being good ambassadors. We are not being servants of Christ, and we are not furthering the cause of Christ or the kingdom of God. We are doing nothing for the kingdom of God if our first priority always is not his kingdom and his righteousness. And that's one to really think about. That's one that is really convicting or ought to be convicting to one who recognizes that uh, when we are saved, we're not just saved to say we're saved, but we're giving a role immediately thereafter otherwise you could just leave i mean if salvation was simple if you weren't called to be an ambassador once you're saved you might as well die or whatever be taken off of the earth but you're left here as a new creature to be a minister of reconciliation that's what you're here for to be a minister of reconciliation if you will not do that there's no reason for you to be here there's no reason for you to be on this earth that isn't your home if you reject the understanding that you are a minister of reconciliation. You have no reason to be in this earth. However that may sound. So Christ says, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first, and then all these other trivial things that you need will be added to you. So simple. Heard so much, quoted so much, but how often does it actually convict us? Um, in our lifestyles to be what we're supposed to be. How often does it cause us to question whether or not we're actually doing what we're supposed to do? So this scripture right here is kind of the whole point about, okay, you're, you are an ambassador. You represent some kingdom. Which kingdom is it? Look at this scripture and ask yourself that. Are you seeking to promote the kingdom of God and to spread his truth and his righteousness? Because if you're not an ambassador for the kingdom of God, you're a representative of the kingdom of Satan. And we'll look more at that. So um, before we look at the contrast, uh, let's consider another thought. And this I want to go right uh, into because I want to really uh, impress upon everybody that there is one who rules this world today. Who is not God? And I'm going to show you that through scripture. Um, so before we look at a contrast, let's see who rules the world that we currently live in. Um, because if we're strangers and pilgrims and foreigners and ambassadors of a foreign kingdom, uh, then that clearly shows that there is somebody else who rules the kingdom that we're currently in. So I want to give you scripture to tell you who that is. So you don't just have to guess or, you know, try to make something up. But we can actually look at scripturally. Who is the ruler of this world that causes us to be pilgrims and strangers? So the first one uh, scripture I would use is in John in the 14th chapter and the 30th verse. And I kind of figure we have to start here because um, Jesus is speaking and he says, and this is a, a really important one um, because it explains a lot. But he says, I will no longer talk with you much. Um, and he's speaking to his disciples, but he says, for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. Well, there right there, we know something. OK, if you had any doubt who rules the world, you know, it's not Christ because he at this point, because he says, I won't talk with you much after after this, after this period where he's here, he says in the you will not hear me talk to you much for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. So we have to start here. Um as we see that Satan has a season in which he is free to a degree uh, to operate within the world and not just to operate in it. Jesus says the ruler of this world is coming. 
So Satan is not only operating in this world, who, by the way, in case you didn't know, Satan is not in hell, nor has he been there. Um, that will be his end. But right now he is in the world um, and in the world. Uh, he is to try people, to try the saints and, and, you know, things of this nature. He is playing a part. He is not free. Um, he does not think, which some people like to say that Satan thinks that he can win. No, he does not. And I can prove that through you uh, to you through scripture, which I'm going to do in a second. Um, but he does not think he can win. He is fulfilling a role. OK, he's fulfilling a role. And actually, let me prove that to you now before we go on. Um, but look at Revelation chapter 12 and verse 12. And I uh, just look at what this says. It says, therefore, rejoice, O heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath. Why? Because he knows that he has a short time. So if he knows he has a short time, how can you say that he thinks he can win? Doesn't make sense, does it? He knows that he has a short time, so he wants to do as much damage as he can. Satan is not under the delusion that he can defeat God. Remember, when Satan was cast out of heaven, God never had to stand up. Okay, angels cast him out. So if angels could do it, just imagine if God decided to move against him. He does not think he has any chance to beat God. He knows that he has a short time, but because of this, he's angry. And in this, he has been sent down to the world. Woe is us. And Jesus says, I won't talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. Why do I start here? I start here to make it very plain that the ruler of this world who is not Christ has his kingdom here. And if you are a part of the kingdom of this world, if you're an ambassador for this world, then what you'll find is that you are not an ambassador for Christ's sake. Ambassador of what kingdom? So go to, to a couple more scriptures here. Second Corinthians chapter four now. And again, we're looking at the ruler of this world, what he looks like. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the third verse, starting there anyway, says this. But even if our gospel is hidden, it's hidden to those who are perishing, okay, those who are lost, whose minds, look at this, the God of this age or the God of this world has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So if the gospel doesn't make sense to anybody, it doesn't make sense to those who are perishing, whose minds have been uh, covered so that they can't believe, whose eyes have been blinded by the God of this world. The greatest battle that's being fought in any co every culture, every society ever is the spiritual battle. The sad thing is most people don't recognize it. Most people don't take it seriously. Um, most people don't or refuse to realize that the greatest battle being fought, the greatest persecution, the greatest death toll is spiritual because it's so much greater because one, everybody will deal with it, but also it's eternal. It doesn't just end with this life. If we're fighting a physical battle and you die in this battle, well, I mean, you were destined to die anyway. But the spiritual battle is one that extends into eternity that has been going on since the garden and extends into our eternity. And sadly, most people ignore that battle and choose to fight over worldly battles that show they do not represent the actual kingdom of God, because those who represent God's kingdom can see this. So I says. If our gospel is veiled, if it's covered, if it's hidden, if you can't see the gospel, if anybody cannot see the gospel or understand it, their mind, they're being blinded by the God of this age. And in so many ways, he succeeds in blinding them because the world is at his fingertips. He can use anything in the world to blind people, anything, whatever it is, whatever temptation, lust, whatever thing it might be. Uh, whatever thing that can excite them, whatever it might be, he uses confusion, religion, whatever he wants. He can use all of these things. Some people think they're safe in religion. Well, no, he can use that, too, to blind you into thinking. I mean, just look at how many people are in church and really use that one day of the week to justify the fact that the rest of their lives, they're an ambassador for Satan. 
because they went to church Sunday and they sang and collected the money. And therefore, from Monday to Saturday, they're justified representing Satan's kingdom. He's blinding you. So if the gospel is hell is is hidden to anybody, it's hidden because their minds are being blinded by the God of this age. Just another scripture showing you who the God of this world is at this point. Go to Ephesians now, chapter two, starting at the very first verse. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now, here's the thing. We were all there. That's why I never understood how people either accuse or how some Christians actually do think they're better than other people. How you were once like them. And not only that, you were only saved by Christ. Nothing that you did. No wisdom, no strength, no holiness. You were saved by Christ's sacrifice. All you did was say, yes, I'll take it. And then you were made a new creature. Then you were given the Holy Spirit. But up until that point, how could you feel better about being in God? You know, considering that you did nothing to earn this and prove usually every day that you don't even deserve it. We do. So going on in verse two, in which you once walked according to the curse of this world, the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. There we see he's the prince of the power of the air, the atmosphere, what's going on now in society, whatever you see going on, he's the puppet master. Because all he wants to do is pull your mind away from the goal that was given to us by Christ to be ministers of reconciliation. The first scripture we looked at, Jesus tells his disciples, preach the kingdom of God. The very first thing. Preach the kingdom of God. That's what this is about. Preach the kingdom of God. That's what the first thing he tells anybody to preach. When he, when he sends those disciples out, he says, preach the kingdom of God. And yet here... I see saints all the time, fervent, adamant about all these other causes that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. You've been deceived. It's that simple. Such a strong statement, yet you've been deceived. If your fervor, if your heat, if your passion is not about the kingdom of God, you're in the process of being deceived 100% guaranteed. Because the spirit of God who's in you simply wants you to further the kingdom of God. That's what he's telling. That's what Christ told us. That's what God's desire for us is to further his kingdom. If you are not doing that, you have to ask yourself this kingdom, this, this question, whose kingdom do I represent? So we see who the prince of the power of the air is. And with that, generally speaking, we can say that those who are ambassadors for Christ are outcasts in the world. That's the truth of it. If you are an ambassador for Christ, you are an outcast in the world. And I have more scripture for you to evidence that. But it's simply true. The God of this world, Jesus even said, you won't hear from me much because the ruler of this world is coming. And he has nothing to do with me. So people will be blocked out. Their ears will be covered. Their minds will be blocked. They'll be given all these other things to think of so that they can't consider Christ by the spirit. And through the word of God, we are reminded that we have a goal to focus on. But here's the thing. We all know, those listening, we all know that there are times when we get caught up in the desires and the tricks and the deceitfulness of this other kingdom. That's why we have the scripture to remind us. That's why we have the Holy Spirit to teach us. And we ought to have the brethren um, to remind us as well. But that's the thing. If we are ambassadors for Christ, then in the world, we are outcasts. John chapter 15, look at this. And this is just going with that thought process. In verse 18, we see Jesus speaking. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, now here's the huge part right here. Here's how you know what kingdom you're really of. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Here's another, you know, musing moment. Here's another pause right here. This is why I love scripture. I mean, if, if you can read scripture... And I mean, don't stop to think about it Well, nothing, nothing bad. Just, you know, you got to start reading scripture for the right reason. Let's just put it like that, because some people are taught to read the Bible the wrong way. So maybe it's not your fault. But now you're hearing it. When you read scriptures like this, stop for a second and, 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 and work out your own salvation. Ask yourself what this means. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. You can't just keep reading over that. You got to stop and say, whoa, wait a second. What does this mean for me? 
Okay, Jesus said the world hated him. So, I mean, how could it not hate you? If we represent that kingdom, a kingdom that this world hates, how then do you fit in so well? Right? Pause for a muse. So if you were of the world, the world will love its own. Yet, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So if you ever confused as a saint, why in the world does the world hate me? Well, that's the reason why. Because the God of this world hates you. So all these systems, everything that's going on, even the ones you think that represent you, all these things that go on in the world are things that are against the kingdom of God. What an awesome deceit, right? See, people look at Satan as this, you know, little dumb creature, you know, are trying to make you mad at somebody else and cause you to lust and things like No, he's using the whole system because it's all under his power. The current world system he's using to steal your focus from being an ambassador for Christ, whatever he can use, whatever thing, entertainment, politics, whatever it is, uh, things that go on in society, whatever it is. He's taking those things and using them to say, hey, look over here. Are we fool enough to say, oh, OK, I'll look over there. It drives me crazy when I see saints fighting these worldly battles. It, I mean, it drives me crazy, you know, using church and using their platforms. They call themselves Christians, and yet they use their platforms not to preach the kingdom of God, as we were told to do, but to preach some other social thing, to preach some political thing. It's unbelievably insane because we have our goal as pilgrims, as ambassadors, as ministers of reconciliation, we're told what to do. The whole world will hate us no matter what it is, and Satan's there pulling the strings to make us ineffective because he knows that we're the only ones that can do any damage to his kingdom, the saints. And I mean, and that's why he hates us. That's why he makes a system that honestly hates the ambassadors for Christ. We are the only force in existence on this earth of humans that can fight against him because these other things don't fight against him whatever change can come does nothing against his kingdom whatever change can come in cultural society will do nothing to harm his kingdom so he says absolutely fight for that cause only the saints who are ambassadors for christ do any damage to his kingdom because we're robbing him of those people he has taken captive spiritually speaking and eternally so to stand for a temporary battle where the participants are going to die and be judged is a foolish thing. When here we are supposing to be ambassadors for the kingdom of God. So he's more than pleased when you take up a stand for that worldly cause because you do no damage to his kingdom. So only to of those who are ministers of reconciliation who preach the kingdom of God as Jesus told his disciples to do and that we can use as well. Only when those people uh, act and speak we are the only people who at all combat the kingdom of satan the kingdom of this world as soldiers called to be soldiers we fight against the opposition the true opposition so that being said let's look at let's let's now look at the contrast what do the representatives of uh that kingdom look like now that kingdom is the kingdom of satan because we're, we're we're trying to figure out what the muse is ambassadors of what what kingdom do you represent who has sent you into the world that's that's a better way to look at who has sent you into the world are you in the world when you go out into the world is it because christ is sending you out or because satan is sending you out that's what we're looking at so we see what the representatives of god look like now let's look at what the representatives biblically speaking of satan look like hey this is what we're going to look at so looking at these scriptures and i'm going to say let's start in romans and the eighth chapter to to contrast now between the representatives of god's kingdom and the representatives of the kingdom of satan the kingdom of this current age this present world and i'll start in the fifth verse of romans chapter eight and so it says starting at the fifth verse for those who live according to the flesh I mean, this is great stuff. This is like, okay, wait a second. Let me think. Let me let me take a minute to consider where I stand and who I represent. Those who live according to the flesh, who obviously would be representing Satan's kingdom, because those who represent God's kingdom live according to the spirit. So, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. That's another thing that Paul's about in Muse. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. 
set their minds, give their minds over to, focus on, live for, have passions about the things of the flesh. That's how we test ourselves. If my focus, if my mind is always set on things of this world, that's what kingdom I'm a part of. That's what kingdom I'm giving myself to. That's who I'm an ambassador for. Because it says, to contrast, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. So those who live according to the spirit who are of the kingdom of God, they set their minds on spiritual things, not on things of the flesh. Why? Because they understand, verse 6, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Going further, the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God and it can't be. So those who are in the flesh can't please God. It's impossible. So the carnal mind is death. The carnal mind is separation from God. If we live according to the carnal mind, then we are not representing the kingdom of God. See, it's one thing just to say it. I'm an ambassador for Christ. I'm a minister of reconciliation. I'm a soldier. I'm a son. I'm all these things we can say. But are we actually showing? Are we actually living that? The, this is the test. These are the tests to see, honestly, whose kingdom you represent. Because that's the kingdom you're a real ambassador for. Is your mind set on fleshly things or on spiritual things? If it's set on fleshly things, you're representing the kingdom of this world. If it's set on spiritual things, you're representing God's kingdom. So let's look to let's look to another scripture in First Corinthians now. And the sixth chapter. And this will this will make a little uh, couple lists for us here. So 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter. And now again, we're going to look at this contrast, okay, between those who represent the kingdom of God and those who represent the kingdom of this, of this world. So 1 Corinthians chapter six, and we'll start at the ninth verse. So it says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, this is those who practice, those who live it, not those who have fallen. As we know, uh, Christ removes our sin. So these are those who are stuck in these ways. And here's the thing. Notice that this is not in an order of how bad they are. He's just rattling some things off about people who don't represent God's kingdom. So he says, don't deceive yourself. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So we can stop and think about that. We can stop and say, okay, those who represent God's kingdom are spiritually minded, are focused on that. All these sins that were listed are things that we see as fleshly, of the world. We see these as things that are completely consumed in worldliness and in self. From the sexual sins to the sins of covetousness, where we see thieves there as well, um, to the sins of drunkenness and just a waste of life and of time. And he says there in 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. You were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified. You were made clean, you were separated to good works, and then you were made just in God's eyes by the sacrifice of Christ and the power of the spirit of God. Meaning you no longer live for the pleasures of your flesh, you now live to please God. I know it's so easy to rattle off scriptures to yourself and get moved by it and say, oh, wow, that's deep. But it means nothing when you're not actually doing it. You can read the Bible all day, every day. If you don't do it, it's completely useless to you. Oh, I'm an ambassador for Christ. Are you really? Because ambassadors for Christ focus on godly things and live godly ways. When God tells them to do something, they do it, whether their flesh likes it or not. They don't make excuses for fleshliness. There are always things your flesh will desire but the one who's focused on the kingdom of God doesn't say, I have to find a way to justify this fleshly thing so I can please myself. They say, no, I have to fight this fleshly thing so I can please God and represent his kingdom. That's the difference. That's how I test myself. That's how you test yourself. So going back to a scripture we looked at earlier, back to Ephesians chapter two, this time uh, taking it down to the third verse. So it continues on with the thought process about the prince of the power of the air. Um, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. We all did it at some point. 
fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature nature the children of wrath just as the others so this is somebody this again is somebody who represents the kingdom of this world fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind conducting themselves in the lust of their flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind a person a person who is completely self-absorbed and consumed with pleasing themselves and only use scripture if they uh, profess to be in christ they only use scripture to further their own causes and the things they do not to preach the kingdom of god so who do you represent that's the question what kingdom are you a representative of because this is another one of those tests this is another one of those things that would show that what are our desires toward so this is an important one in showing that contrast between who indeed represents god's kingdom whereas who is simply a representative of the kingdom of this world and it's worse sometimes for those who claim to be christians because you say you represent christ and now people are looking at you expecting you to do it and when it turns out you actually represent the kingdom of this world you do more damage than good because now people are saying man christians are such hypocrites and we ought not to be that way so let's look at another scripture as far as this contrast first john now in the second chapter and we'll go down to the 15th verse and again this is what the representatives of the kingdom of this world look like satan's kingdom this is what they look like and remember his kingdom is on the earth not in hell in hell he's going to be being punished okay he does not have some throne in hell you know with the pitchfork and you know those things and no that's that's cartoons okay in hell he is being punished his kingdom is on earth so if you didn't know that that's an important one to hold on to if you thought that he ruled hell well you're wrong about that that's punishment for him he rules this earth his throne is here so first john chapter 2 starting at 15 says do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone does love the world the love of the father is not in him it's so easy this contrast the hard part is accepting this because it makes us look at our lives and say whoa who have i been representing because it says if i love the world the love of the father is not in me one thing the saints have to stop doing is lying to themselves and saying oh yeah i don't love the world when clearly in life in life we do because loving the world evidences somebody who does not love the kingdom of god you can't serve two masters 16 says for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father but of the world it's a simple contrast that to love the world you have to love things that are against god the lust of the flesh the lust of the, of the eyes and the pride of life only live once well that's not true unless you're talking about the continuation into eternity so to have that thought process is to love the world the pride of life the foolishness of that thought process so now because of that i'm going to fulfill the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and find myself separated from god so to love the world will cause you to hate the things of god because all that is in the world are things that further the cause of this kingdom all those lusts the flesh and eyes those are given you by the kingdom the king the ruler of this present world of this age till christ comes to reclaim and it will cause you not to have a love for the kingdom of god not to care whether or not the kingdom of god is being furthered let's have another scripture as far as, as far as that goes this one in galatians and the fifth chapter and here we see kind of another list because this is just a contrast between those who are truly representatives of the kingdom of god and those who represent the kingdom of this world start at the 19th verse and it says now the works of the flesh are evident they're obvious adultery fornication uncleanness uncleanness lewdness idolatry sorcery hatred contentions jealousies outbursts of wrath selfish ambitions don't skip any of these dissensions heresies envy murders drunkenness revelries and the like of which i tell you beforehand just as i also told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of god they won't 
They're here living for the kingdom of this world, and they will have their portion with the king of this world. Remember this, hell was not made for people. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. That's what scripture says. We choose to go there. We, we place ourselves there. It wasn't made for us. We go there by siding with the ruler of this world. So we say, I'll have my lot with him. So it's, 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 it's pretty plain to see the ambassadors of God's kingdom, those who represent God's kingdom, look very different from those who represent this kingdom, the kingdom of this world. They don't, we don't look the same. Our desires, our passions, the things we're seeking clearly are not the same. And it's and the thing is, it's not even close. It's not even this type of thing where, you know, you can look at them and well, they're kind of, no one group is consumed with the things of this world. The selfishness is the things that this world tells us to stand for the uh, the pleasures, whatever it is, the goals, the dreams. It's all about this world and nothing about the kingdom of God. Whereas he who, she who, um, is a representative of God's kingdom is completely opposite in that they are not giving, given over to the desires of the flesh, but instead to the things of the spirit. I mean, now the question is, how do we do it? And we'll look at some scriptures that speak about this. But in furthering the God's, king, God's kingdom, we do this through being shining lights in the world. The world is dark. Um, people are confused. People are taking up causes that do not further the kingdom of God. So what are the saints supposed to do? We're supposed to represent, represent God's kingdom. We're supposed to be lights in the world in spite of how dark it is. Or where we are in relation to that darkness, we ought to shine as lights. We, are, we ought to mind the things above, things spiritual, and not things that are sensual, things that are fleshly. Jesus promised us, we saw it in Matthew 6, that our needs will be taken care of. Well, why? So that we can focus on living for God. So that we can focus on our role. God supplies for us, take cares, takes care of us so we can focus on the things of his kingdom. He will give us our needs. But we have problems with that when we are representatives of the other kingdom because we, we aren't satisfied with our needs. We now have want God to tap into our wants. And the more we start to fulfill the lusts of our flesh, the bigger those lusts get. It's never satisfied. A person is never satisfied with the act of fornication just once. It builds up a desire for more. Gluttony, whatever it, whatever type of thing we do to please the flesh, there's never this one time thing. And okay, I'm satisfied. You know, whew, I can go back to doing spirit. No, it does not work that way because it is deceitful so it never satisfies it just creates a bigger hunger or thirst for this thing it's deceitful and it leads away from god so to represent the kingdom of god our fight ought to be for heavenly causes not the causes of this fading world we should always stand for the things of god and never for the things of this present age but let's 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 look at just a few more scriptures um, in regard to this. And we were here before, but go back to 1 Peter chapter 4. Um, and again, let's look at a few things here. And these, and I, I, I use, so, even in these musings, I use so much scripture um, to show that this is the will of God, not just the opinion of men. So 1 Peter chapter 4, the first verse, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, Arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. I mean, underline it, highlight it, put a star, circle it, just make sure you can still see it. Verse two there. It says, since Christ suffered for us, give yourself that same mentality that now in the flesh you suffer for him. Because if you're suffering in the flesh, if you die to the flesh, then you're free from sin. So Christ having taken on sin for us, he says, the rest of our time here, let's no longer live it for the lust of men, but for the will of God. You want to know how to be an ambassador for Christ? Right there. No longer live in this flesh 
for the lusts of men. Instead, for the rest of your time here, live for the will of God. Then you will be a good ambassador. This was the musing. Go back to the beginning. How, how do I know if I'm an ambassador for Christ or an ambassador for Satan? Well, just look at this. Who do you live for? Do you live for the flesh or do you live for the spirit? That's how you know. Christ died for us. So he says, let us now die for him by sacrificing fleshliness and instead living for spirituality. So he says, he who has suffered in the flesh has stopped living a life of sin um, and no longer living to please the lust of the flesh, but the will of God. He'll have his failures. He'll have his falls. But he gets back on course and realizes that he represents God. He lives for the will of God. And this is every day. This is representation every day. Why do some people fall so much? Because they've been deceived by Satan, by the king of this world, into thinking that just in doing certain things, God is pleased. Whatever those things may be, it's different for people. Going to church, doing something in church. Okay, I fulfilled God. You know, I fulfilled something for him. Now I can live my life for me. I can have all these dreams, goals, ambitions, desires, and all these other worldly things that scripture clearly just told us we ought not to have unless they please God. It's deceit. It's a spiritual war, not a spiritual game. So it says no longer should they live for the lust of men, but rather instead we ought to live for the will of God. Another one. How, how are we ambassadors? 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 3. This is a tough one. Um, because we like to say things like only God can judge me and things like that. But look at what this says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. Now, that's a huge thing to say. Yeah, I don't offend the ministry of God in anything that I do. Well, why? What difference does it make? Because I'm a representative of his kingdom. And as a representative, I further his kingdom by trying to bring people into this reconciliation. So in that, I have this thought process that I don't want to offend this ministry or I don't want to offend so that this ministry is blamed. If only more preachers and teachers looked at scriptures like this and said, man, let me do this. So many uh, uh, people in power within churches corrupt and defile people and apparently never think of the scripture. That we do what we do so that the ministry is not blamed. I don't want people to be able to blame God for my foolishness. I don't want people to be able to blame the work of Christ because of my selfishness and willfulness and lust or whatever it is. So for those who are leaders and for all of us, we live so that we do not offend the ministry of God or do not offend on the righteousness of God so that people now blame the ministry because we'll have to answer for that which is why the Bible speaks of how those who are teachers have the greater condemnation because so many teachers have single-handedly led people away from God those people have to answer for that rejection but the teacher is not innocent so it says we don't offend in any way. We don't live a life that says, oh, well, you shouldn't have been looking at me because we do not want the ministry to be blamed for the sake of our foolishness. Growing up in church as a pastor's kid and uh, knowing so many people in the church, I, I unfortunately know so many stories of people who were offended and who blame God for stuff that they saw some supposed Christian doing. And it's sad. A lot of times it's an excuse. They're just looking for a way to a reason to reject God anyway. But sometimes it was in their innocence that they were abused by somebody who was supposed to represent God, who was supposed to be an ambassador. I know far too many people like that. And it hurts the heart. It's sad. Especially when we have a scripture that ought to convict and will condemn those people who do it. So we shouldn't be an offense to the ministry. We should live reminding ourselves I represent God's kingdom now so let me live my life that way so I'm not in offense people go through so many um, hoops to try to witness and do this and go out there and do it but if you simply live for God you will be the greatest witness there is if churches taught the people in their churches to live for God to represent Christ in everything we do Sunday to Sunday and all the days in between then they would not need to do all these other things where I simply throw this booklet in your face and get out of there. I hope you don't know me. 
It's a sad, foolish thought process. It's a lifestyle that convinces people. And if we were living the lifestyle, it would be so much more beneficial. A couple more scriptures here with this with this musing. First Timothy chapter six. This is an important one. If we're looking at, okay, how do I exercise my ambassadorial role? Look at this one. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. Right there, you're different. Godliness with contentment is great. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's guaranteed we can carry nothing out. You don't think that's so. Just, I mean, you look at, I mean, if you went to school or you saw a documentary about, you know, pharaohs and stuff like that. And when people open up their tombs, guess where the treasures are? They're still there. They couldn't take it. Anybody who's buried, open up the the, the casket and what would you find? The same stuff you put in there. And having food and clothes with these, we should be content. That's First Timothy 6, 8. Talk about an ambassador. Talk about a, a, a moment to just sit and muse for a second. And having food and clothes with these, we should be content. Just that with food and clothes. Funny how he doesn't even say house, right? Just with food and clothes with these, we should be content. Why? Because we're not here for this world. But in verse nine, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root for all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. How sad is that? How sad is it that Christians still teach other Christians and those on the outside that we should strive for riches when a scripture like this is staring you right in the face saying all you're doing is creating a bunch of of traps with many foolish and harmful lusts desiring to be rich it's disgusting when right there it says with food and clothes we should be content why because I'm not of this world it doesn't matter what my life here is like what matters is whether or not I'm representing Christ's kingdom the way I ought. It's all right here in scripture. How do you ignore the scripture? How can we do that? Only through the flesh, because of the desires of the flesh, because I've been caught in a trap that forces me um, or that has deceived me into representing the kingdom of this world. So I'm lost when it comes to representing God's kingdom. I have no idea what it's like to be an ambassador because I've been deceived. So here's the truth. Here's the opportunity to be free from these things. Look at this scripture with food and clothes. Be content. How do I be an ambassador by living this way, recognizing that godliness with contentment is great game. I'm satisfied with whatever God gives me. Now, let me go back to living for him. As Jesus said in Matthew six, he'll take care of the things I need. Now, let me focus on living for him. I have clothes. I have food. And he threw in a house on top of it. Thank God. Let me live for him. Thank you, God, for taking care of me. Now, let me live for you. Who cares about the rest of this stuff? It's sad that so many Christians white out this part of their Bible. I represent his kingdom by having no love for the things of this life, but instead loving only the things of his kingdom. One more scripture. It's one of my favorites. Because how do I exercise my ambassadorial role? What scripture do I remind myself of? Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24. Which says, and those who are Christ, well, how do we know we are Christ? Look what it says about us. Have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is a goal. This is a striving. This is what I look like or try to look like. All those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Why? So that they, we can, from th that point forward, live with the kingdom of God in our sights seeking first his kingdom and righteousness if i do not crucify the flesh with his passions and desires i'm going to struggle always to be a representative of god's kingdom a boatload of scripture but that's the musing that's the thought process what kingdom do you represent just consider it think about it don't just spit scriptures out and make them mean nothing to you the scripture says we're ministers of reconciliation. We're ambassadors. We represent this other kingdom and we tell people in the world how much greater the kingdom of God is. How can I do that and make it make sense to them if I love that kingdom too much? The kingdom I'm telling them they can be free from. How do they believe this kingdom is better when I'm saying, oh, yeah, your kingdom sucks. Can I have more, please? Oh, yeah, there's something so much greater. Can you know, can I share? Can we can I have what you have? 
Yeah, I, I want everything that you want, but yeah, oh yeah, by the way, this kingdom is greater. Well, yeah, they're not going to believe you. How come it's so hard to convince my friends and family of Christ, you ask yourself? Well, the answer is, well, look at you. And we should be doing this in a way uh, that should motivate us to live more for God. Now, make me say, well, oh, well, I guess I better just represent that kingdom. If the spirit of God is in us, he won't allow that thought process anyway. But yeah, why is it so difficult to convince people of Christ? Are my words to blame? No, your life is to blame. Simply put, you don't represent his kingdom. You don't look different. So how could I believe that there is something, some change in you? All you do is speak differently. All you do, you're not around on Sunday anymore. But for the rest of the week and the rest of the time and the rest of our conversations and all of your posts and all these other things, they show somebody who's represented the kingdom of this world. So what's the conclusion of this one? Well, you are an ambassador. You definitely are. It's all about which kingdom do you represent? That's the kingdom. The, 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 that's the question. The, the question is not, am I a representative? The question is, whose kingdom do you represent?